Welcome to the Sunday Property Breakfast Special, brought to you by Keller Williams and your host, Adrian Jones. Every Sunday at 10am, there'll be a different property market topic discussed. And please don't forget, on the last Sunday of every month, join us on Facebook Live. Bill Murray, the American comedian of Ghostbusters fame, once said the best way to teach your children about tax is to buy them an ice cream. And just as you're about to give it to them, you lick 30% of the ice cream off and then hand it to the child. Bit of tough love um, and, you know, probably a few tantrums and tears. But to be honest, it's the only tax lesson any child is ever going to get. And it made me think, in fact, as adults, you don't even get tax lessons. So it's really not something that's going to happen very much. But it then started to make me think, well, why on earth are we going to be talking about property tax? Because isn't tax something that just happens to you? You work, you get taxed. You buy something from the shop, you get taxed. It's just a passive thing that happens. But then when you look at uh, property tax, you soon realise that if you buy things in a certain order and time um, and also uh, various other considerations about how you buy it, you can save your tax liability. Now I've got your attention. You thought this was going to be the dullest, driest subject on the podcast. And yes, it sounds dry, but this is the one that actually could save you potentially the most money. And to talk to me about this, because I know nothing about it whatsoever, um, I've got uh, Joe Colwell. Joe, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. A- absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So we're going to just look at a few of the headline taxes that you've probably have all heard of. Uh, but just before we do that... Um, Joe, would you just like to let everybody know who you are and why you're sat next to me? So I am Joe Colwell. Uh, I'm the head of tax at GTP Tax. Um, we're a reasonably new business, but part of a bigger GTP family. Uh, I myself have been doing tax for over 25 years. I don't like to admit that because that means I must be very boring. But it's okay. Um, it's, it's bad enough admitting you're a state agent socially. <laughs> so, you know, you're a good company. Yeah, it tends to be a conversation stopper. But uh, yes, I've been doing it a long time. So the uh, the upshot is, is there's not much I probably haven't seen or done. And hopefully today uh, I can just give you a few hints and tips and things to think about. I think one thing that if you forget, I, I, you've reminded me to remind you of, is that this is general discussion, general advice. From a podcast point of view, all of our podcasts are not an A to Z of tax or showcasing or whatever. Very specifically, nobody should be taking any of this as their own advice. No, correct. So these are just designed to be hints and tips to give you all thought processes um, uh, to then go and uh, speak to an advisor, ideally me, um, about these types of things. And also actually just to highlight, when it comes to property, there are two um, distinct differences for tax between an investment property, which is something you buy and hold long term, versus a trade property, which is generally something you buy, do up, sell and you sort of repeat that exercise they've got two different tax regimes and i'm focusing on the investment side today and obviously we've just got people who own a home uh, but that could also be sold uh in a time frame and in a a manner which limits that liability as well yeah absolutely um the obvious one stamp duty um i'm not going to sit here and recite the rates uh because you can find that anywhere the one thing I would probably advise uh, anybody looking to thinking of buying is go to many stamp duty calculators. Google it, you'll find plenty of them. 
and you just put in two or three different criteria. Obviously, you put in the price of the property you're either buying or thinking of buying. And you put a couple of other criteria about your status. So you could be a first-time buyer. You may be what would be called an ordinary homeowner buying your next property, or you could be an investment buyer with multiple property. They also ask you to clarify if you're UK or overseas resident. Put those figures in, put that status in, and it gives you a calculation. Depending on the value you're buying, you'll either fall off your chair or go, oh, that's okay. Um, Is there much more to talk about? on stamp duty there's not lots and lots but there are again a couple of just useful bits of information that people people might uh, wish to know i think it's probably pretty common knowledge now that if you're somebody that is acquiring a second property um as as we're seeing a lot in the marketplace at the moment people are rather than investing in pension they're investing in property as their sort of long-term investment so they are requiring second properties you have to pay an extra three percent over the published rates that are there but again as you say the calculators do pick this up and they should make you aware of it but when you're cash flowing think about the extra three percent first time buyers there is relief available for you guys up to six hundred twenty-five thousand. so that that's pretty generous for, for first-time buyers' property, so don't forget about that. And then probably one that is little um, known amongst um, most people is something called multiple dwelling relief. And actually, it's quite common, again, in the Hampshire and sort of surrounding areas. If you're buying a property that has got another property on site capable of being a dwelling, so let's say you've got an annex attached with its own front door or even an outbuilding that could be used as a dwelling because it's got a kitchen, a toilet, etc. Um, there is something called multiple dwelling relief, which will greatly reduce your overall stamp duty liability. I won't go into the mechanics of it, but just be aware of it and ask your solicitor, any good conveyancer will be aware of this. In simple terms, if you've got Two things, I'll use an example. You've got an £800,000 house, you've got a £300,000 annex. Yeah. You split them and you pay 800 liability, 300 liability, not 1.1, which is higher. Correct. Okay. Yeah, okay. broadly speaking. Just checking my own maths there. You know, this is, this is not just for you, by the way, listening and watching. This is for me as well. So, you know, it's, it's all important. Uh, the next one I probably come across more than any other is inheritance tax. Again, a phrase that nearly everybody will know about, uh, will probably not like. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to property, what are the few of the things that people ought to be aware of and think about with regard to yeah. inheritance tax? So, again, we find clients come into two camps here. They either do IHT planning aggressively, so they think about this, or they just go, um, well, I'll be dead, therefore I don't need to think about it. So it's it's quite a it's quite a marmite um, tax out of Death all of the and ones taxes. out there. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you are somebody that's into planning, uh, the one thing you should be aware of um, mostly is that um, ignoring property for the second, most people can leave three hundred twenty five thousand pounds to their loved ones free of inheritance tax. That's the current uh, nil rate band. <clears throat> There is also something called a residence nil rate band. So you can have potentially another 175k on top of the 325 at 0%. There are qualifying conditions to it. So you have to leave your property to a lineal descendant. Now, for most people, that's the case. That's your children, grandchildren, whoever it might be. Uh, Not siblings, nephews, nieces. It is just a straight line down. And as long as you're leaving the property to that person and as long as your overall estate is less than two million, you should be eligible for that residence nil rate band, which just helps with um, passing the assets on. I think most properties in this area are worth over the nil rate band these days. So people have already got an IHT liability to worry about. Yes. Um, What's already coming clear to me is that 
even from stamp duty, which I do know a fair bit about, inheritance tax, which I come across and you therefore learn a bit by osmosis. What's becoming clear to me is that there's quite a lot of numbers and figures mm -hmm. and calculations and rules but the moment you start to dig into them, there's a caveat there, a caveat there, a yeah. qualification, a disqualification, there is. which just to me says, yeah, go online, find out a bit of a solution and a bit of an idea. Mm -hmm. But when you're really talking about actually putting it into practice, <clears throat> talk to you. Yeah. Definitely. So you get it right. I mean, my colleagues usually laugh at me because when I speak to clients, my favourite phrase, it depends. Yeah. Because it, it, every answer depends on a certain situation. There are the bog standard rules, but then there are going to be things that everybody, you know, everybody's situation is slightly different. And so the rules apply differently. Um, and in tax, one of the government's favourite thing is to put lots of anti-avoidance legislation in place. So you might know the main rules, but what you don't know is the anti-avoidance. And we've got 20,000 pages of legislation now. Wow. Nobody, nobody can know that. So that's where the specialist comes in. That's where the advisor comes in to make sure you don't trip up on something yeah amazing i am by the way drinking more water normally because this is a particularly dry topic <laughs> that's the end of any witticisms i can think of around tax um capital gains tax again i think all of these headings are things that most adults who've maybe been in business or have dealt with assets have thought yeah that rings a bell but what does it actually mean to a property owner yeah capital gains tax well we could have a whole podcast just on capital gains tax. Watch it. There are so many. One is areas, enough. <laughs> so many areas to cover. But, you know, the general principle is if you've got a second property that is going to be subject to capital gains tax when you sell it on the profit. Um, your main residence that you live in, very generally speaking, that will be exempt from tax because there is an exemption for that. But if you've had uh, any period of absence, so again, it's not uncommon, you might have gone overseas for five years to work or even do a bit of travelling and let your property out while you were gone. Um, you've probably got some capital gains tax exposure, even wow. in your main home, because it will not cover that period necessarily. Again, other reliefs available in legislation to possibly sort of narrow down the amount that gets subject to tax, but you have to go through that calculation and you have to claim those reliefs, which and is something that gets... Again, is that there's no sort of like a certain number of days and years, is there, on that, uh, no, on your own main property? It's literally, so, you know, as we look at it, you've owned a property for 30 years, you spent 10 years abroad, 10 years out of the 30 years are chargeable. So we, okay. would, we would work out the profit. A and percentage of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and look to see if there's any then reliefs to, to bring that down. Trying to make this um, simple for somebody who's maybe got an investment property. So somebody who bought an investment property for, for say, £300,000, mm -hmm. they've held it for a certain period of time, they're now ready to relinquish that as their pension because it was bought as a pension and say it's worth £500,000 and that's what it sells for. So they have a £200,000 capital gains tax liability. That's the profit. Profit. The tax on that will likely be 28%. Okay. There's two rates. There's 18 and 28, but that's basic rate and higher rate. So it, it all depends. It all depends. That's what I'm going to call this podcast. <laughs> Taxation, it all depends. depends. You've given me the name for it now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yes, it, it's it's 18 or 28% on the sale of a property. Um, and also they've brought in relatively recently, probably three, four years ago, if you do sell an investment property, you've only got 60 days to report that to HMRC and pay the tax. You don't wait until you do your tax return. You don't wait till the end of the tax year. It has to be done within 60 days of that completion. Um, so it's almost paid like stamp duty. You pay it on the, at, almost at the time correct. is the best way to do it. Yeah, correct. And you said that this could be a whole podcast on its own, so don't necessarily 
tell me where those areas are. But if I'm faced in that situation of a, 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 a gain that is taxable, are there ways of um, being uh, dealing with it correctly whereby you limit that so figure? There is a way in which we can bring the rate down to 10%, but we do need lots of time and planning to achieve that. And I say time, minimum two-year planning window to achieve that possible 10% tax rate. Um, there are probably a few other things that we would chat about, but that's the sort of the main one um, in my head, which is around a, a, having a furnished holiday property. So somebody sat there today with an investment property they're quite happy with, in spite of the exodus of buy-to-let, which mm -hmm. is, again, another topic of conversation. If they're thinking, I'm going to be selling that in three or four years' time, because that's when... Uh, I'm retiring and I want yep. the liquidity of that asset back. That's the time to prepare. Again, prepare in advance and you get the best result. Yeah, absolutely. Don't leave it to when you're coming to sell it. No, you, you need a minimum of two years to achieve it. So we need to start planning because uh, one of the effects is you might take a bit of hit on rental income for a little period. So there might be an interruption to actually your income flow. So we need to plan for all of that. It's a common theme that runs through all these podcasts, as you know, from having listened to quite a few of them. They may be on a very um, comparatively fluffy subject of showcasing and interior design and planning to come to the market. They might be about the downsizing. All of it often comes back to this start planning it ahead of when you're going to actually do yeah. the downsize move, the, the sale of the, the, of the property. Um, just, and I think that's why we're doing the podcast. Absolutely. Because people know these things need to be dealt with, but deal with them now before you're actually coming to that eventuality. Does income tax have much relevance really to the to property ownership? Um, it does if you're somebody that's letting the property out, and that is obviously commonly why we hold investment property. It's for the long term growth, but ultimately it's also for the short term, you know, uh, rental yield that we might get from it. Um, and in this area in particular, we can get quite good rental yields on property um, a lot of people will say to themselves okay well I've got the rental income but guess what I'm paying all of that over in mortgage um, okay. because they're servicing the mortgage so they go in their heads well actually there's no profit um, so I don't have to declare it uh, common misconception you have to declare rental income irrespective of whether you make a profit or not and actually the way mortgage interest works is if you're somebody that pays tax at 40 percent you will have the income it gets charged at 40 percent the mortgage interest only comes off at 20 percent at the bottom so whilst in your head i haven't got a cash profit for tax you have got a profit that will you will have to pay something on um so again it's a common misnomer um, and and overlooked quite often. I'm dealing with a, a currently a four year disclosure because somebody didn't realise they knew they had to pay capital gains, didn't realise they had to pay income tax on the income. And that's one of the reasons why I touched on earlier that we've got an exodus of buy to let landlords created by legislation, taxation, yeah. created actually by the age of uh, people because a lot of people went into the buy to let um, in the late 90s, early noughties, and those people. Yes by that nature, have now reached retirement age, so they actually are ready to sell. But the taxation legislation, the new EPC, albeit that that might now be be scrapped, is just all reasons why quite a lot of people said, I'm just getting out of this because it's... Yeah. Again, so somebody... To me, if you look at property from a supply and demand point of view, all the figures say, go into rental. Um, I'm now going to try and remember a statistic from when we met with the Bank of England a couple of weeks ago. I think... And I might correct this on the notes in the podcast, but 
it was around 2000 and oh, I'm going to regret saying this live <laughs> in around, I think it was about 2010 ish. There were 2 million rental properties in the country. The last figures recorded last year were 4.3 million of people, uh, of rental property in the market. That is a massive, mm. massive, well, it's a over over a hundred percent change. So supply and demand would say, let's get into buy to let. Yeah. Um, but the taxation, the legislation has made a lot of people say, I don't want to do it. The next breed of buy to let investors, who I would say, please, this is a, something to seriously consider. Talk to you about tax, talk to you about income tax, all of the things that could come yeah, into that. Absolutely. Because again, when it comes to income tax and renting, you know, we get a lot of questions around actually, what other costs am I allowed to deduct? Um, and things, you know, things... Uh, in tax, we think about capital versus revenue. So when you buy a property and you pay stamp duty, that is a capital cost. You can't offset that till you sell the property. Um, but if you're renting a property, you're going to paint, decorate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and in most cases, you can offset those costs against your rental income to try and reduce reduce your tax bill overall. But again, there are quirky rules out there. So if you buy a property and you do all of this work to it before your first tenant, you can't claim any of that. You have to have a tenant in and have a business already created before you can start claiming the repair costs. So it's a little bit of making sure you know that you don't go and spend £5,000 on redecorating a property only to be told that you can't offset that because you haven't yet started your business because you haven't got the first tenant through the door. So timing again. Timing. Timing of what you do so that you get the maximum tax benefit from it. It's critical. Um, Following on from the buy-to-let idea... um, something that I know is regularly recommended to me um, by um, IFAs I meet on the mortgage side is buying the buy-to-let in a limited company yeah. uh, as opposed to just me as an individual. Yeah, again, a very, very common question we get um, uh, at GTP Tax, actually. Um, limited companies um, can be a great way to buy a property, it depends. Um, as I already <laughs> alluded to, there are many different reasons why you might or might not. I always tell my clients, very broadly speaking, if you're somebody that doesn't need the rental income to live off, you don't need it for your lifestyle, and you're not necessarily going to be drawing money from the limited company, then that's when it probably works the best for you. Because a limited company will um, house your profits at a lower rate, between 19 and 25% versus you who might be paying 40 or even 45% if you're a moderate earner these days. So I always say it. we need to look at your specific circumstances. Um, you're not going to avoid capital gains tax because ultimately a limited company is charged capital gains tax the same as an individual lower rates potentially. Um, You're still going to pay the plus 3% surcharge on stamp duty via a limited company, so you're not going to save anything there. It's the longer term picture that the limited company is useful for. Um, We've been advising quite a lot on family investment companies, um, which sound fancy and sound wonderful. And you might see, if you Google it, you might see companies sort of saying, we do this. It is just a bog standard limited company, but with your children involved as shareholders. And it's a way to put the longer term capital growth of the property into their hands rather than in your IHT estate. So this goes hand in hand, possibly with some IHT planning as well, if you don't necessarily need the asset in your own name and the money. So again, it comes back to this point of if you are already the property owner, the property investment owner, and you are not really 
looking into your tax affairs proactively and need to organise, come and talk so we yes. s- you structure them correctly. Yeah. But if you're thinking of going on this journey, I guarantee you if somebody, one of my friends tomorrow said, Adrian, I think of buying a buy-to-let property, they will probably do one of two things. They'll work out roughly what they can borrow and then they'll start looking on Rightmove and Zoopla for the best rental return property and go and buy it. They won't think of the big, big picture of how am I going yeah. to account and tax yeah. and structure this Correct. for the best way for buying my first one, but then presumably also the best way to do it if I'm thinking that I might end up buying three or four. Yeah, um, absolutely. Creating a bit of a portfolio there as well. Yeah. Um, I studied law um, strangely um, at university. I say strangely, actually, I loved it. I, I, ironically, the one bit of law that I really, really disliked was property and trust law. <laughs> um, so there, that probably says an awful lot about about me. Um, the word trusts is again. It, most adults will have, even if they've never been, never set one up, never been the uh, the beneficiary of one. They'll have heard about it. It'll be something that's there in the ether for them. What does it really mean for somebody? Yeah, I think owning property for most people, it's a bit like a fluffy cloud, isn't it? You sort of it's a bit elitist, it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, we we don't really want to touch it because we don't know what it is. Um, yeah, again, trusts have uh, a whole regime. All is this themselves. another? You're, are you going for the third podcast I am. here? I'm okay. going for the third podcast yep. here. <laughs> um, they have a whole regime all to themselves. Um, really, really difficult to succinctly cover off a trust. But what I would say. Um, as in every case before, is it depends. A trust is not right in every scenario, I'm afraid. Um, So you do very specifically have to look at individual circumstances and why they want that trust. And actually, tax mitigation is not usually the primary reason why somebody wants a trust. But in the right setting, um, we can offer protection from IHT. Um, We can offer potentially protection from care home fees Um, in the longer term. People may be aware that, and I've heard horror stories about people losing their home to care home fees um, so we can offer some protection there and actually we can offer protection from um, other outside events such as divorce so if you want to leave a property to your daughter and only your daughter and not to her husband who she may divorce in 10 years time um, then a trust can achieve that for you and make sure that the legacy goes where you want it to Um, the trust itself has its own tax regime as I said so if the trust is income bearing so if you did put a property in it that has rental it will pay tax on it at the highest rate so it doesn't necessarily save you income tax in the short term it's more about the longer term saving Um, and it will pay some inheritance tax but it's capped at six percent every 10 years Um, so that's where you know potentially the saving can come in and that sounds as if that that one is very much more hand in glove with the legal setup. Um, and in fact, you work with Robert, um, yep. who is here um, doing the um, the conveyancing podcast. And in fact, he probably will return because we touched on some subjects within that where he'll probably come back and do it. But mm. it does sound to me that's very much a legal and financial one. Yeah, be, and actually, we, we do overlap quite often on on a lot of things, um, trusts in particular, because you will need a solicitor to be able to set a trust up and write all of the terms and conditions. That is mm. a legal document, um, and then you need the tax advisor to obviously advise on the implications because there are many ways a trust can be created. You could simply go and create one today with a solicitor, but you could leave it in your will that you want to trust created on your death for example so we would work with will writers and solicitors in that context as well joe genuinely 
Um, it was probably, was it the podcast I was least looking forward to? No, it wasn't, because as soon as we got talking about I knew it was important because I come across too many clients who um, advise me how brilliantly they've done on the taxation side and then those who've, you know, it's caused them problems and indeed, you know, they've potentially lost money and tax as a result of it. So it was one of those which, from a title point of view, we're going to have to make it really, really good so that people click and if you're watching this far in, we've obviously succeeded. Um, but I think what it just proves again is that every purchase from and sale from everybody out there, whatever status that may be, um, there could be a tax element involved, which with a quick bit of discussion could either dismiss it and say, nope, nothing you can really do on that. But in the vast majority of cases, there's probably going to be something that they can do with the timing yeah. or the way in which they buy and sell which will limit that liability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as everybody will know, with the caveat that always comes with tax, um, that is, of course, if the legislation doesn't change. Yes, (laughs) and we're not going to date this, but obviously it's something really significant. But again, as we say with all these podcasts, we... There are some things that are happening right now which we are bound to sometimes mention within a podcast because it's there in the news. You know, we're in the currently in the situation where we've got a buyer's market as opposed to a seller's market, and the time of year may reflect in some of the podcasts. But most of this is is not to provide solutions to people, but to make people think of things they'd not really thought about before. And I think this is one that certainly being in the industry, I do come across it in there. But do I know about it? No. These words, inheritance tax, capital gains tax, yeah, yeah, you need to talk to somebody about that. Well, now I know somebody I can talk to about it. I've learnt, in fact, this is the reason why this is a really good podcast. I've probably learnt more from this podcast than any other. Most of the others are people who can more eloquently talk about what I broadly know. This is something I knew that much about, and now I'm glad to say that's a good deal better. I hope everybody has picked something up from that please do contact Jo. Her details will be in the various contacts through here. If you lose it in the text of this, you know where I am. It's on my Facebook page where this is or Spotify or wherever else. So you'll be able to track me down and I can obviously put you in touch with Jo. Thank you again. You will return. (laughs) Um, And uh, I just hope that everybody's appreciated this as much as I have. Thank you again for listening to the Sunday Property Breakfast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Property Breakfast podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Please feel free to share if you know of anyone who could benefit from these exclusive market updates. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask Adrian directly, then you can find him via email at adrian.jones at kwuk.com. That's adrian.jones at kwuk.com. See you next week.